Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, before we get into today, to today's episode, a big announcement. Next Tuesday, June 1st, we will be starting our Road to Desert Rain series. This will be an ongoing series of uh, people's stories of how they ended up here at Desert Rain. Uh, we are re-releasing David Morrison's for the first week. And for the month of June, we will be releasing various people's stories. And then in July, we'll switch back to Tuesdays. We'll be David and I sitting down having conversations. And every other Thursday will be another episode of Road to Desert Rain. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity, please pause this and go listen to the trailer. Um, it'll give a little bit more context. Uh, and today's episode, David and I sit down and discuss the Eucharist, uh, the importance of it, the spiritual significance of it, uh, sort of the context in different denominations. And we even bring in some of the Hebrew scriptures to look at the, the context of um, early Christianity and the importance of the Eucharist. But before we get into that, thank you, Diego, at Recording Moving Studios. Uh, he does all the editing and sound engineering, sound design for this uh, podcast. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. Uh, those are the drums you hear in the background. You can check out uh, their products at monkdrums.com. If you're interested in uh, Desert Rain community in general, or you want to read up more about David Morrison and some of his uh, thoughts and prayers, uh, check out theruined.com. You can also go to drcrpod.com to catch some of the past episodes as well as that trailer I mentioned earlier for Road to Desert Rain. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please tell a friend, uh, either word of mouth or social media. That really helps us out um, as far as is helping uh, spread the word and, and uh, just letting people know we exist here. So uh, we appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. A couple episodes ago, I'm not quite sure where this will land actually in the time in the the release line, but uh, we we got into we kind of took a sides um, when talking about worship. We started talking about the Eucharist. Mm, yeah. And uh, it dawned on me, uh, one, that's a great topic. Uh, that's, uh, in my mind, an important topic. Yeah. It's the topic. Big time, yeah. And we haven't covered it here. <laughs> yeah, because it's so prevalent. <laughs> you know, why talk about the sky? Yeah. And so uh, our our, our uh, mission for today, if you will, or... Um, the rabbit hole we're going to run down is is uh, this thing we call the Eucharist. It's referred to as the the Last Supper, but the point you made uh, is it's it's the first supper. Yeah, of an, of the eternal, the eternal ever present supper. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I'm I'm not quite sure. This is this is once again our pre production or lack thereof is coming through, yeah. but. Uh, where, where's a where's a, a reasonable place to start um, with that that huge topic? Where, where would you start with the if you were going to explain the Eucharist to to someone that might not be familiar with it? 
Yeah, I guess we could just define it. Yeah. What does that even mean? Eucharist. It's a it's not an everyday word that mm-hmm. you hear. Uh so I mean I it's a Greek word yeah. that simply means it. Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's the the practice of Thanksgiving. It's the sacramental practice of Thanksgiving. And it's the the greatest act of worship that we could do. Uh Meister Eckhart said if the only prayer that you have for your entire life is thank you, it would be sufficient. Mm. And so it's it's thanksgiving. It's it's the ultimate. That that's uh that just that quote um just took me back to my early sobriety. Mm. And uh I was I was still on the fence about the this idea of God, this idea of a higher power. And my sponsor just said, uh, when you wake up in the morning, just say out loud, please keep me sober. And if you're if your head hits the pillow that night and you haven't drank, uh, just say thank you. Yeah. And that was my prayer life for several weeks. Um and there's something about saying thank you. Yeah, it's critical to uh, living a life. Yeah. Something about coming from that place of thanksgiving and, and gratitude that I know, I know uh, sort of in pop culture right now, people are like, oh, make sure you write a gratitude list. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is silly, but popular. Uh, there's something powerful yeah, within a gratitude list. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and ultimately Thanksgiving needs to be just like hope. It's got to be beyond your circumstances or your possessions. Mm-hmm. And so in the American consumer mind, we have a difficult time with that. When we think of Thanksgiving, it's for what we have or or our present circumstances. Well, and it's, it's in- gotta be beyond that though. Well, it's interesting that you you say that because going back to the gratitude list, um, and no I noticed when I first started doing it, my gratitude list was the circumstances. Yeah. And the the very surface level stuff, right? Like yeah. grateful I have Which a are Jeep, good. Jeep, you know. But if you do it every single day, you're going to notice that you're you're staying at a very surface level. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, and at some point, it nat- or at least for me, it naturally evolved to looking at things beyond my circumstances, like yeah. you're saying. It becomes more of a being than mm-hmm. doing. and Yeah. So it can become a very powerful force. Thankful yeah. people are generally at peace. And so uh, maybe maybe we rewind two thousand years and and um, in the context of of the Christ story, yeah, the Last Supper was a Passover meal. Is that am I do I have that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he was celebrating the Passover, which is the the meal that that Jews uh, partake in once a year, the Passover feast, which commemorates. Uh, the children of Israel on their last night in Egypt, they put the blood of lambs on the doorsteps so the, the angel of death would pass them by, Passover. Um, why is this night special? The kids are supposed to ask at the table and then the patriarch, you know, matriarch will answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so the, the tendency was to eat the meal standing up with your mm-hmm. belt on, you're ready to go, your sandals are on. It's it's a quick, fast meal kind of thing. So Jesus uh, in the uh, New Testament, in the Christian tradition, kind of puts a new twist on it, if you will, uh, 
and he and he basically says, uh, you know, this this bread is my body is the language he uses. It's very literal language. Right. And this uh, wine is my blood, and it's a new covenant I'm giving you. And so that's the audacity of Christians. We claim a new covenant, and mm. and which became very divisive between. Well, in, in Christianity was a Jewish sect. It was a school of Judaism. Interesting. Okay. And so it, it became a very divisive issue, obviously. Right. And it's probably the most divisive issue in Christian Christian history, probably. You know, it's hard to get kicked out of the modern Catholic Church. They, mm. they won't ex- excommunicate you for much. But if you mess with the you mess with the mass, you're out. Baby. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't wow. ma- that's the one thing you just don't. Yeah, and for anyone that isn't up on Catholic Church recent history, you can yeah. Google it and find all sorts of scandals and yeah, and those and guys they, are still in. They're not kicked out. Yeah, <laughs> they're still in. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So yeah, and if you don't, but if you mess with the, the so, Eucharist, then yeah. So yeah. give an example. Uh, the, around like what 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 would someone have to do around the Eucharist? Well, there have been priests that have been defrocked, if you will, and uh-huh. then they would continue to say mass, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, there are iffy situations. Uh, that's why I love Henry Nouwen, uh-huh. uh, and we can talk about him on my own personal uh, journey with the Eucharist because he's he's a big part of that. Okay, but he his he was a Catholic priest, and they're uh, required to say mass every day, whether they're they have people or not mm-hmm. with them, and so he would invite non-believers, you know, mm. you know, or anybody. He didn't care because his his philosophy or belief was that uh, the the bread and the wine is the gift of God to humanity, not mm. just to believers. Which I think he's absolutely right on that. Yeah, I would, I would, I would tend to lean in that direction yeah. for sure. So. So, you know, in the modern era, probably not too much trouble. You might get a, a, a nasty letter from some archbishop, maybe. Uh, but in <laughs> earlier his, centuries, wa- yeah. Wag, things, wagging his finger at you. Yeah. But in earlier days, probably something worse, you know. So, yeah, that's... And so, so, so it's a combination of, you know, as the Gentiles started becoming Christians, became uh, the church... So, so it was, you know, if you read the New Testament, that's a major issue. Uh, right. You know, are, are Jews, are, are Gentiles welcome to receive the power of the Holy Spirit? They're, they're outsiders. They're not yeah. Jews. And so that was but, a big issue. Is it is it John or Peter gets scolded? For... Yeah, Paul the Apostle scolded Peter, allegedly, uh, according to his letter to the Galatians. Uh, called him a hypocrite in front of everybody because... Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles <laughs> right. at like, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, I just I'm going to sit with my Jewish brothers over here. You guys stay over at that <laughs> yeah, table. Yeah, exactly. The, and then and then Acts kind of whitewashes the story, if you will, or, or makes it more a, a palatable, you know, a nicer story. It was, they weren't screaming at each other across the. No, they have Peter. He's down with the Gentiles now. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> he's, he's he's cool with them. Uh, he had a vision and everything, yeah, you he, know, and a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so so you can see the the politics of the early church, and so I would I would probably think. That it's not just the Passover, the Jewish Passover, what became Christian communion, Christian Eucharist. Uh-huh. It was probably also a combination of Gentile, uh, uh, what they called uh, 
the secret cults uh, in Ephesus, uh, and the, the the hidden mysteries, the mystery mm-hmm. cults. Is okay. Which, if you look up mystery cults, you yeah, can find yeah. out. And so there might have been some of that as well mixed in, and so it, but it eventually took on its own Roman flavor and and uh, and then became fairly cemented in. In in church worship, you mean? Yeah, so it's so had different rites, though. You know, so you had the Roman. The, there's the Roman rite. There's the Eastern Catholic rite, mm-hmm. the Orthodox rite, and then the Protestants have their whole a whole different thing going on with that. Yeah. And so, so the belief, you know, you know, the Orthodox Church calls it the mystery, mm-hmm. and so it's it's the representation of the the crucifixion and the resurrection in in bread in wine, and. Uh, and and you're to partake of that. Yeah. You're taking it inside of you. So that's that's kind of the the general idea behind it. Well, yeah, and, and I, I can't remember. It was one of those moments, like, oh, of course. But even just looking at the the word communion, yeah, you know, coming together as you as you you're eating the the flesh of of Christ, you're becoming one. Yeah, with um, with God. Exactly, it's an intimate you know, union with yeah. God, with one another, and with, in solidarity with all who suffer. And and I remember what, and like I said, it was it was less within within the last ten years. You know, and it's been less than ten years. I know that for sure. But just having that epiphany of like, oh, this, like you just said, the solidarity of the suffering, yeah. the solidarity of. Um, the community at large, the solidarity yeah. with God, you know, all those things coming together in that moment um, made it um, for some reason that, that flipped the switch in me of the significance of communion, yeah. you know, I grew up Catholic. So communion is just part of what you do when yeah. you do church. It's so it's so much in front of you. You don't notice it. Yeah. So fam- you become overly familiar. And, 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 and in the Protestant world, it's kind of a, Tends to be an afterthought, uh, particularly in the mega church uh, world, uh, charismatic world. It, it's just something we we should do because Jesus said to do it. So they'll might get to it once a month, kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's right between the announcements and the sermon. Right. So it's kind of an after. An while afterthought. while they're collecting money or whatever. Yeah, and there's a reason behind that, a historical reason, which is the the Protestants came out of rationalism mm. and and so they rejected the the mysticism of the eucharist which was the you know the claim that this uh the claim of what they call transubstantiation right which is a, a miracle occurs the real presence of christ uh manifests in this bread and in this wine and and it literally becomes the the flesh and blood of christ and so the Protestants, in, in because they're a product of rationalism, yeah. that makes no sense. Uh, we're not cannibals. We're not, you know. And so they rejected it all, you know, altogether. Uh, and I'll never forget. I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Oh, I know I was thinking about it because I was going to bring up that we should talk about this. But when I was at university, there was a woman, and she went went to one of the uh, mega churches there, and. 
she she had a really impressive story. And so that's why I, w- I listened to her interpretation around Christianity much mm. closer because she had a very, um, I guess, tragic would be a, a reasonable way to sort of set what her paradigm was going into Christian. She didn't grow up Christian. Okay. Or she did. She went away for it for several years and came back. But I guess her and her, her I don't know if they were married at that point or her fiance or whatever, but they had gone... They'd gone to a service. I don't know if it was an interfaith thing or what, but it, the Catholic Church was represented there, and they were talking about the blood and flesh of Christ in communion, right? Mm-hmm. And she started telling me about how that's like pretend cannibalism. <laughs> it was a yeah. very, it was a very childish argument, and it was very surprising coming from her because she was like, yeah. she's a smart person, and and, I, but I, but you know, and at that point, it's just like, like I realized she was missing the point, yeah. But she also had a point that was so basic that you couldn't really come around. Yeah. It was so ira- her point was so irrational and rational at the same time, right? Exactly. It's like, what, like, how do you even like, where do you even start? Yeah. And so. Um, and that's the dilemma for Bible only, Bibles quote unquote Bible centered uh, right. Christians who tend to take the the Bible literally, which are a lot of them. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a huge percentage. Well, for sure. all of a sudden on that issue, they don't take it literally. When that's interesting, you can find you know in, in uh, John's Gospel, he literally says, "Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood." You cannot have eternal life. He, does, yeah. he literally says yeah, he, that, yeah, but all of a sudden they're not literal on that issue, you know. And so it's so, and then they accuse people like me of uh, doing the buffet cafeteria style, choosing what's which I do because you have to. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I admit it, I'm just honest about it. You know? Well, and if you don't, you're going to end up eating someone's flesh and drinking yeah, someone's exactly. blood. And, so, and I'm not down for that. Yeah. I should have also mentioned historically, this is a little bit off. No, no. Um, not just the Passover and not just the mystery cults, but also the early church seemed to have something called a love feast where they would eat together mm. uh, and share food with each other. And that was a, a sacred meal that they would have. And so that seems to be a prototype of what we call communion now. How often would they do... These things called love feasts. There, it was their gathering. It was their. So it was like a weekly. Sunday. Yeah. They, okay. Uh, early, some Roman documents, Pliny, uh, who were observing these this new cult of Christians, yeah. uh, would say they, they would meet early in the morning on the first day of the week, mm. uh, which was you know the resurrection and and so so it shifted from Saturday the Sabbath for Judaism to Sunday because he rose again on the first day, and then later church. Fathers called it the eighth day, which is an eternal day. Unless, unless you're a Seventh Day Adventist, and then that's a whole. Yeah, other. then you go back to <laughs> Sabbath. That's a whole other thing. Kinds um, of things, yeah. No, I, I mean, as we as we uh, explore this issue, I, I bringing up these historical things, I think is is extremely important, um, and and sort of sort of getting back to this idea of rational versus um, mystical. Yeah. Or or the mystery of the situation. And and I I guess I want to explore this thing because it's not either or. Right. That at the end of the when we get to the end of the conversation, it's important to realize that. But 
the Orthodox Church really leans into, from my understanding, the mystery of it. Absolutely. Is that your understanding of it as well? Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think it's just the context of history again. That's, you know, it was a more mystically minded theology in the, in the early centuries. And again, you know, with, with the advent of science, uh, Galileo, uh, Copernicus, uh, there's a third one I'm missing. Um, you know, the, what, what, what we'd call the age of reason, right. The 14 or the 1500s around there, 1600s, uh, uh, you know, usually when you, when there's a, a massive paradigm shift, you tend to reject the previous. Right. Right. So, so mystery, so, you know, so Martin Luther wouldn't even allow his Lutherans, <laughs> I guess, I don't think they called them yeah, Lutherans, they probably didn't. the first generation, <laughs> uh, but he wouldn't allow them to even use the word mystic or mystical. It was a, it was, it was a, a forbidden, right. Forbidden word. It is forbidden. <laughs> you do not say that uh, name of, you know, and then, and then later the enlightenment mm-hmm. comes across and, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, it shifted, you know, so, so from the sacrament to the literate, you know, people became literate. The Protestant movement was a movement of literacy. Um, Thank God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we want There's good things in that. <laughs> yeah, we want literacy. People should read. <laughs> people should be taught to read. Yeah. And so a massive worldwide effort to teach people to read. And and the Bible was that was the the book they taught you yeah know? so well and and two you know sort of this idea of of conserving stuff you know a conservative yeah, outlook yeah. And, you know that terrified terrified the the catholic church yeah because they had they had sort of cornered that that area of the market so it's yeah. like, wow no just the priests need to read it yeah exactly yeah. so you know and and in lutheran's defense that you know instead of transubstantiation they would argue consubstantiation, which means Christ is with the elements of bread. And mm-hmm. so they argued that, you know, this was a big deal. Yeah. It's not a big deal to us today, I don't think. I mean, to some people it some is people because it they're, is, but... they're gatekeepers of their organizations and they they have to keep the lights on. Well, and you, so, you, and you even got some pushback. I mean, we don't have to go in deep into it because we we've talked about it at least once, maybe a couple times. But you got some pushback when you... At your church, you started doing... Yeah, just doing communion every week. Yeah, you got accused of being a Catholic yeah. or something, right? Yeah, Becoming being a Catholic in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> How controversial. <Uh-oh. laughs> yeah, and yeah, so it's, a, it's like I said, worship and sacraments are a very touchy subject for people. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, and it, it, historically, if you want to... The balance, I guess, it's not a, the greatest word, but maybe the radical middle. The vineyard loves yeah. to say that word. I, w- I would think the Methodist movement really kind of hit it in the middle there between mystery and rationalism with, yeah. with communion. They they tend to really, uh, I don't know. I think I, I just feel they do it well, you know. Well, but even I, and I might be speaking out of line, but I don't. I think some Methodist churches still do. The once a month communion. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, huh. I might I might have that wrong. So if you're listening to this and you're Methodist, feel free to to reach out and, and correct me. Yeah. But um, so yeah, so so to to continue on that because because we're not eating literal flesh and drinking literal blood of a human being. 
but we are because of the mystery right. of the of the situation. And so uh, may, maybe if you could um, explore that a little bit of like um, just from the the uh, spiritual side of this of the the whole. I mean, we're getting to some pretty lofty yeah. things here, and so I just how we can break down this idea of why is the radical middle for this topic so important for a spiritual life and how can it, we sort of take this paradigm that we're uh, deconstructing, right? Yeah. We're sort of minimize, you know, breaking it down. And then how do we look at other parts of our life through that same, yeah, those same pair of eyes? Well, uh, a Cynthia Bourgeau saying comes to mind, and and she and I'm paraphrasing because it's been a while since I've read it, but she she basically wrote, you know, Jesus didn't set out. It's it's obvious that Jesus did not set out to establish an organization mm. or a religion uh, with with uh, managers and gatekeepers and. Uh, so forth and so on. Uh, hierarchy. Yeah, it, yeah. He, it's very clear he didn't set yeah. out to do that. But what he did set out to do is he invited us to share a meal of bread and wine mm. and to live in interabiding love for one another. And so that's the beginning. And that's so over the centuries, you know, like Richard Rohr says. Uh, it's almost like the you know he picks on the Catholic Church because he's a he's Catholic, a Catholic priest, right? Yeah, but he but he says things like uh, you know it's almost like we the Catholic Church went as far as we could to disobey Jesus's direct. <laughs> he said, "Don't wear tassels on your cloaks. We put on the tassels. Don't set up thrones for yourselves. We set up these thrones at yeah. the altar." So so you know it became in in many ways the sacraments have become weaponized for those in power. And so they shut people out. I've been at, you know, in masses, you know, and where I'll pick on both since I'm, I, I'm a bastard child of yeah. the Catholic church and a Pentecostal charismatic. Uh, and, and we've, we've, we've established that very well. Yeah. On so previous I'm, not a, episodes. I'm not a theologian. I don't yeah. speak for it. Yeah. I'm just a schlub. And you've, working you've, this out. you've spent considerable time in each, each world for some reason. Yeah. Theologically speaking. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, but I've, you know, we've all been in masses, funeral masses. People are grieving. Maybe we all haven't done that, but I've been, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and people are grieving. They're sad. They're mourning. And then uh, the priest will make an announcement at the communion. Mm. Uh, if you've been divorced, you're not welcome to partake. If you're not a Catholic, a baptized Catholic who's received first communion, right. you're not you're not invited. Um, I feel like they've done they do that at Catholic weddings too. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't gone to confession in the last yeah. whatever, uh, you're not you're not welcome to come. See, so all of a sudden it becomes weaponized, mm -hmm. uh, and and then divorced people feel are, are cut out, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, and it just gets it gets ugly from there, and then. And then, you know, go to the Pentecostal side. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, right. the preacher will get up there and say, you know, this is, this is, this is the, the, the bread and the wine that Jesus offers. It's the free gift of salvation. They pass out the elements and then, 
If you drink or eat unworthily, you're going to experience the fires of hell. Well, there will be gnashing of teeth. And if you don't have teeth, teeth will be provided. You know, and, uh, and the guy gets, you know, and so you're just like, oh, my God, I don't want to partake of this cracker now. So what does it mean to be to if you partake? unworthily what is that so so that's a verse from corinthians paul's letter to the corinthians and uh and they were abusing again there's there's evidence in the new testament that the church began to abuse or weaponize is a better word right uh and, and in this case they were weaponizing the love feast the the, the original communion oh that we talked the about poor. Oh. and so they people were showing up with rotisserie chickens and you know, while other people had just a, a crumb, you know, and yeah. they're eating in front of them. Look how God has blessed me. Yeah. And they were, they were uh, sort of know. flaunting yeah, what they had. It was ugly. Yeah. So Paul addressed it and said, if you eat this meal unworthily, you know, your you're judgment's going to come upon you. I see. And so preachers love that. They, that's blood in the water for a shark. <laughs> preachers love, there's nothing more powerful than fear yeah. right, and guilt. And so right. They, they eat that for breakfast. They love to shovel it out, and and for some reason, people like it. Well, and I, for some reason, I, there's something about being on the quote unquote correct team. Yeah, as humans, and I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure. It's a, I'm painting with a pretty broad brush right this second, right. but you, for some reason, fear gathers people to your team better than this idea of like uh, community. It's very, yeah, it's very sure. odd. It's yeah. very odd. And that's the human condition, I think. And yeah. Did, Jonathan Haidt does, or Haidt does Haidt, a lot of work yeah. on that. You know, why we, why we divide ourselves up so starkly with politics and team sports and so forth. Although, you know, Boston area, Sports. You know? <laughs> it feeds it feeds our reptilian brain in some way, shape, or form. Boston people. <laughs> well, that's why they have to group together. Exactly, because the they only like each other. Red Sox and Patriots, Patriots fans. You're horrible Celtics. people. Terrible people. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's something about that that just just totally lights up our yeah. reptilian brain, and so that that idea of you know throwing that fear on your congregation. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so it becomes very weaponized. Who's in? Who's out? Uh, who's excluded? And it's the opposite of what Christ presented. Literally, yeah, literally the opposite. At the beginning, yeah. you know, is he the cosmic Christ or not? You know, and when I was a child, uh, we had the most one of the most conservative catechisms, the ba- the Baltimore Catechism, <laughs> and and the first line basically starts off with, "Where is God? Well, God is everywhere." And then the rest of the entire book is to explain that God is not really everywhere. He's, he's only just in the Catholic us. Church. And he's not really in the Catholic Church as much as just in the Eucharist. And where is the Eucharist? It's locked in a box. In a Literally. Brass box yeah. in, the, in the building. And so that's the message they kind of give you. And, um, and, it, and it becomes the opposite. And it's like Richard Rohr says, uh, your, our, uh, our worthiness is not what qualifies us to receive that meal. Right. It's not our worthiness. So you nothing qualifies us. No, it, yeah. it's your unworthiness that yeah. actually qualifies you. And so, you know, that's that should be the model anyway. So if I'm a, so if I'm in sin, quote unquote sin, 
Which we are. Which, yeah. You know, <laughs> Everyone is at all times. SOP. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, so to cut me out of, to tell me I, I shouldn't take communion because I'm in sin. Uh, well, what else is going to get me out of the sin? Right. And so, you know, I, I need the medicine, if you will. So, so it's almost like arguing, you know, well, if you're sick, you don't qualify for for antibiotics, yeah. yeah, you don't get antibiotics yeah. until you're healthy again. So get healthy, and then we'll give you. The, you know, I don't, I don't and that's need. kind of what the situation we we're in with this. I've never thought of it in that perspective, but it's and it's very just to half half go back and just the fact that this the idea of this cosmic Christ is locked into a little box. Yeah, in a Catholic church, I, I never realized like how how absurd that is. Yeah. If you're not looking at it from the paradigm of the Catholic Church, where, of course, you would lock Jesus up and keep it safe. (laughs) Exactly. And on the other end, it's the same. God is with our little church that meets at this strip mall. Mm -hmm. And and, and surely God uh, would share, tell his plan to us first before he tell it. You know, and it's kind of like the old Catholic school joke that we used to tell, which was, uh, you know, uh, somebody comes, uh, a cardinal comes up to the Pope and says, uh, Father, uh, the second coming of Christ has occurred. That's the good news. Uh, but there's bad news. And he's, well, what's the bad news? Uh, he, he went to camp. He went to, uh, Utah. He's in Salt Lake City. <laughs> he didn't come to Rome. <laughs> he picked, he picked a different Rome. Yeah. We were evil Catholic school kids in the eighties. <laughs> and so uh, we had worse jokes than that too. Yeah. I could um, imagine. So yeah, so that's it's that kind of God is on our team, surely, yeah. uh, and you know, and, and now I would argue is not the time. We we need to be uh, earth centered people. Um, well, I think it goes back to citizens, we, you know, to to all of it, right? Like we need to be inclusive. Yeah, you know, like instead of drawing these lines that. Um, seem to be drawn with the evangelical right. Yeah. You know, we need to uh we also need to care for the earth. Yeah. I think I think that's what you meant what you just said. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I, I think one of the ugliest thing about my life and times is that my generation is overseeing the the death of the last rhino on the planet. That is that is just a condemnation witness against my generation that's see i would still blame it on the boomers but that's just because i'm a (laughs) a millennial (laughs) but no i understand yeah i understand what you're saying generation of all that live on the earth right now yeah okay okay fair Uh, enough right it's on us yeah it is on us and And, and, so that hurts that hurts me if you've ever seen a video of a baby rhino it's the most it's the greatest thing you'll ever see you know it's yeah there well (laughs) and actually it's funny you bring that up in um phoenix they have this I can't remember what it's called, but it's like Wild Wild Safari or, you know, one of those yeah, yeah. silly names. But they were in the best part of that thing was there, they had a section where they just had um, – because it was some kind of sanctuary. It wasn't yeah. just like a typical zoo. And they had a, a room that had all the different babies – that and it if you when you go look at yeah, like the little tiger melts. cub yeah. or it, any and you know I when we went there was probably four different kinds of species and I can't remember them all that had just had babies and they were in this yeah. you know air, area to make sure that they were taken care of and 
if you if you can't go in there like you said and, and your heart just totally fills and melts with love yeah. it, it's like um really really unbelievable exactly so yeah we we, we need to kind of work on this together as a, as a human race now uh and not uh you know nations and tribes and clubs and et cetera, et cetera. But unfortunately that's, that's how our, um, Oh, that's how our brain fits into. And we've already talked about this on an episode or two ago where it, that served us when we were hunter gatherers, this, this wow. tribal mentality. And, and, but in 2021, it's um, killing us. Yeah. And, and just to go back to the earth thing, um, I, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about her on here, but Tulsi Gabbard, she was a, uh, or she still is, I guess, a politician. She was in um, a, rep- a U.S. representative, but she posted this the other day and it, it just really, it struck me and, and it's right in the vein of what we're talking about. On this Earth Day, let us meditate upon the fact that this pol- this planet belongs to God, not us. And that is, and that as such, we should do our best to serve Him by acting as stewards and caretakers. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, we're we're here. Even if you don't believe in God, we are here for such a short amount of time. We being me as an individual uh, is here on this planet for such a, a blink of an eye. In the, no. the sense of how long the earth has been here, why wouldn't I be a steward and a caretaker? Yeah, well, to Mother Nature. Terrible theology out there. That's why. So let yeah. So so let's. I mean, that's it's a little bit off the communion, uh, but 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 what? Yeah, we can what is way back? Yeah, what is that the idea? Ties you back into the earth. Yeah, let's do that. So yeah, so what's the well, terrible there are, there are popular outlook the, you know, in popular Christianity? There are. Uh, belief systems that the that God is going to destroy the earth with fire is going to blow it up mm. uh, because of a verse in one of Peter's letters um, and so why why should they be worried about anything oh because God's gonna, He's destroy, gonna destroy it, anyways. it anyway so they oh. so they're gonna so they seem to do all they can to beat God to that and so you know and and even though I'm a Christian uh I, I kind of prefer um, if someone was uh, was in power where they had the nuclear codes, I would want that person to be an atheist and not a theist in that sense. I would want an atheist uh, separation of church and and uh, state because that person because you could interpret a nuclear war yeah, as God. Yeah, exactly. Burning or, down the earth, or, or I'm gonna I'm gonna go to heaven anyway. That's that's the mm. the consumer. You take the consumer mindset and put it to popular Christian belief, and you have a horrible situation. I see what you're I've saying. got mine. I'm getting into heaven. Yeah, I'll be fine. And, and all my enemies are gonna burn in hell. Yeah. And yeah. that's they do believe that, and and they act that way. They live that way. And I was Marsh and I were. I won't go into the details, but we were talking about something like this, and it's it's not the exception to the rule. A lot of popular Christianity. It's it's not that there's an exceptional bad person. I see. There's it, not like one or two churches no. that are spouting this. Right. Uh, right. What I'm saying is the belief system itself makes decent people into worse people. That's what I'm saying. 
And that's an example of that. And so, uh, so that's why they, they deny climate change and, you know, the whole thing. And, and, and you can point towards, you can point towards it because once again, it's quote unquote, biblically centered because it showed up in one of Paul's. They have a verse. Yeah. yeah one Big of, deal though. One of his letters. Yeah. Right. Okay. And again, yeah. Instead of metaphorical, they take it literal mm-hmm. and, because it suits their, their hatred basically. And so, and so how, how does this, um, so that, that's, I, you know, I think that's a perfect example of this, uh, dangerous or, or bad theology. So how, how does that loop back to this idea of, of connecting with the Eucharist? Because the Eucharist, we practice it together, first of all, and it, it connects us. It, it's, um, like the word religion means to realign or to mm-hmm. re-ligament yourself. And so reconnect. Yeah. And, yeah. and he uses Christ uses that word. Remember, remember. And, and so it's to put flesh and bone to put embodiment back into your spirituality to, to come to back to physical. the here and to the now. Yeah. And so, and we're doing this together and we're doing this in solidarity with everyone that suffers, especially those that suffer. Well, and two, I, I'm just thinking right now off the top of my head, the people that were at, the Passover meal with Christ were people that were going to betray him, people that were going to yeah. deny him, people that weren't going to recognize him. Yeah. On Scared the, of him. On the resurrection. Yeah. Um, but he had that meal with them anyways. Exactly. And he says to, to keep doing that meal. And so it becomes the center of, of Christian activity because it, it uh, recenters you to the here and now, which is where, the spirit is, which is where the presence of Christ is. Uh, it's, it, it's it, you know, not escapism. So a lot of Christian belief uh, popular on the popular level right. is, is just an escapism. I, I, I'm bored with my life. My life circumstances are terrible. So I'm just, I, I want to get out of this world anyway and get to heaven. And just it's, make it worse. And it's a disembodied <laughs> heaven. You know, it's not. And so... Well, it's a line drawn in the sand type of heaven. Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no, see, Christian and Jewish traditional teaching doesn't teach a, a disembodied separate heaven. Oh, I see. It, it I teaches see, I see. a resurrection event that's quite literal and very physical. Judaism and, and early Christianity are very physical in that sense. And so, um, so that's that's what I would say the Eucharist calls us to, is to the here and now. So when I partake of the bread and the wine, um, you know, I'll often say this at our own gatherings. I'll say, I'll have everyone meditate and look at the cup of wine. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, in this cup of wine are the tears of the first mother who ever cried Eve over the murdered body of her son, murdered by her other son, uh, and to the tears that have been cried throughout the centuries, to the very tears that are being cried right now. And also in this cup is the cup of joy, and it's one cup. It's children laughing behind barbed wire, playing soccer, uh, triumphing over, over evil at this moment, and we're one with them. And so we partake of this. And so it's a powerful, powerful practice. Yeah. And so, you know, and... And important too. Yeah, 
you know, one, one thing they don't take literally, which I think they should, he said, I was in prison and you came and visited me. Mm. Um, I was, I was uh, sick and you came and you took care of me. Yeah. Um, and I'll, and I'll just update it uh, to, you know, I was, I was uh, transgender and I was gay and you, uh, shunned me. Yeah. You shunned me. You, you yeah. kicked me out. You told me I was an abomination. Uh, I was, I was a refugee and you said that I was a, a, a burden on your economic system. I was poor and you said it was my fault because I was lazy. I was a drug addict and you, and so on and so on. Right, right, right. Yeah, you, we, we could uh, continue down that, that rabbit hole yeah. ad nauseum, unfortunately. And, and um, but I mean, but the, I mean, that, those, are, those are the important reminders too, because for someone that is uh, interested and this might be the wrong terminology, but anyone that's interested in taking action within their faith, uh, because we have, uh, you know, if you want to go meet Christ, you know, you go, you go hang out with refugees, you go hang out with, with, uh, drug addicts or, or whoever, you know, whoever uh, you said it on one of the recent episodes, but like, um, you just kind of, your exact wording, I think was, I just look at who the, the Christian right is, uh, is, um, I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember. Excluding, yeah. Excluding. Right? Yeah. That's, that's who Demonizing, I'll go. Demonizing. Turning into a monster. That's who I'll go be friends with. Yep. And, um. It's really easy. And that's kind of the Christian, uh, well, when I say Christian, I mean like, that's kind of the Christ, uh, his North Star, right? Yep. Go find, go find the people that I am those people. Yeah. They are me and I am them. You know, it's, it's a radical hospitality, you know? And, right. You know, he, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, uh, one of the early miracles is that he, uh, heals, heals the guy with leprosy mm-hmm. and tells the guy, don't tell anyone. And the guy goes and tells, <laughs> tells everyone. everyone. <laughs> and then it says that he wasn't able to enter the city anymore. And I used to think that was because he was too popular but it was because, because he became unclean. He was unable to enter back into society. Because he had touched someone yep. with leprosy. And he took that upon himself. And that's deeply rooted in the, you know, the, the prophetic tradition of Isaiah. And, uh, and so it's, it's very profound. You know? Because I had taken it the same way. Yeah. He had become this pop star yeah, and so he healer. Was, and so avoiding he, it. Yeah, which he, there are cases where he did that. Right. Know, where he has to slip slip away from the crowd and uh, not do that interview on good morning America kind of thing. <laughs> good morning, Israel. Uh, right. <laughs> and yeah, so, so it's a, it's a profound thing. The Samaritans were hated people Shunned, yeah. by the, by the Jewish, uh, the Jerusalemites. And he goes out of his way in the gospel of John to go the across crop. into that frontier. And then it says, um, you know, he goes to the well in the middle of the day and the, it says the disciples went off to go find food. Well, why were they finding food? Because they weren't going to eat the Samaritans' food. They wanted to find oh, kosher Jewish food. Because they were in Samaria. Yeah, they were good Jewish boys. Story. Good Jewish boys don't go into Samaria. And here he leads them into there. And then he's talking to a, 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 a woman of dubious character, right? Alone. And, and they come back with the food. And then it says a very uh, sublime verse there says that they stayed there a couple of days eating their food. 
So he gets them to eat their food eventually. So do you think, do you, I, as you describe that, I just picture the disciples being like, hey, we're, does yeah. he know where we're going? Oh yeah, yeah. They're like hitting each other. They're like like tapping each other yeah, exactly. like in the elbow and be he like, lost his mind. Hey, they're like giving side eyes and stuff. Like, hey, where, yeah, where are we going? Does this guy yeah. this guy lose his map? <laughs> yeah, and they're gonna have to do damage control for him. And yeah, the yeah the PR strategist <laughs> is in the back. Like, okay, yeah. we'll we'll yeah. get in front of the story. Yep. we'll be the first one to put something out on YouTube. We'll put an apology on Instagram. Exactly. Interesting. And so he's always pushing those frontiers. Mm. And the resurrected Christ is still doing that through anyone that will listen. When it goes back to that unworthiness. Yep. You know, the fact that I'm a, I'm an alcoholic and and I cuss a lot yeah. and I say inappropriate jokes. Uh, if, I, if I spend enough time around uh, a proper church person, they, they, would, they would be side-eyeing me like who <laughs> invited this guy in. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's all those, all those, uh, and those are just the things I'm willing to talk about on a microphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone all the other things that, that I don't want out there. everything can be made fun of. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, it's, it's in those things that, that, uh, I mean, that, that for me, that's where I, I connect with Christ Yeah, and knowing that it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be the stereotypical Sunday school church, church guy. Yeah. Um, and today, I you know, I, I wrestled with that a lot. I, I can't remember if that came up during the the Road to Desert Rain series, but uh, I struggle with that because um, I wanted, you know, the thought of going to um, seminary, you know, or, right. or engaging in this these spiritual practices. I, I didn't think I could be, I didn't think I could do that and be who I am. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, this, who knows if this is a, I went, I think it was a year without cussing. Like I, I, I did an experiment to see if wow. I could go a year without cussing and I did. It didn't move the needle. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing really changed. No, it's not a moral issue. <laughs> there are lots of moral issues that we thought were so huge. And then I go, I put them away for three years and then I'm just, I'm just self-righteous now. That's all I am. And so my reward is I get a sticker that says, I'm, right. I'm better than you. And that's what you get. Your reward is that. I mean, I, the the reward I got was like, oh, I can change my actions, but yeah. But at the core of who I am, it's still kind of the same. Yeah, exactly. You know, because that's um, and especially because so. And a, another example would be my drinking that I've talked about on here. But I was actually hurting people and harming people with yeah, yeah. how I treated them and interacted with them during which my are drinking. The real days. issues. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. But when I cuss, um, I'm not. I mean, I guess if I'm cussing at someone yeah, specifically, yeah, but if I'm just thing. if I'm just in conversation, it's it's seems to be a harmless thing, and yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. So, yeah. so this this idea of the the cosmic Christ, um, this idea of of being an open table, um, this idea of of um, you know, since the last sub. What's popularly popular referred to as the Last Supper, yeah. actually being the first supper of an of an eternal meal. Um, how has that formed your uh, prayer life, uh, spiritual life? Like, how, how has that really informed you uh, of who you are uh, today and how you lead? Yeah. Uh, 
Well, it the it definitely opens my vision to be much wider than me personally. Mm. So, for example, when I partake of communion, I'll often meditate on uh, this meal, partaking of this bread and this wine, this body, this blood, puts me at the first meal of Moses and the children of Israel. I'm I'm spiritually present with them. Which would be the Passover meal? Yeah. Okay. And they are spiritually present in this room that we're in right now. Uh, and then this meal, by partaking of this right now, puts me in the room, in the upper room, where Jesus initiated it the first time. And those original people are present with us in this room now today. And by partaking of this meal today, right now, I am present in the final meal that you see in Revelation, mm. the Lamb's Supper, uh, which is the eternal meal that's taking place right now with everyone that has ever gone before us. And they're present in this room and we're present there. And, uh, and it's one meal. And the great people of the world, I'm using Jesus's parable of, of the open table. Right. Uh, the great and powerful people of the world were too busy doing great and awesome, terrible things. So they couldn't be bothered to come to this celebration, to this table. Uh, the, the great celebrities of all the ages were too busy to be bothered with this meal. But here we are, schlubs from nowhere. Nobody's from nowhere. And here we are sitting next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sitting next to Francis and Claire, mm. sitting next to uh, St. Bridget with her stein of beer, uh, sitting next to uh, all of these uh, who we should never have been here. And here we are sitting at this table yeah. of celebration. And here's this, this uh, right next to me, here's this child that washed up on the ocean, this mm. Syrian refugee child. And, and he's serving me this, this spiritual meal. And I'm melted, I'm humbled and, uh, and blown away. <laughs> And so that's what's going on sometimes in my meditation. Well, the beautiful thing too is like the celebrities that are too busy to partake, they're it, it's not because they're not invited. No, they were all invited. Yeah, yeah, everyone everyone is always invited. You know, that's that's the the parable, right? Go go, you know, this king sends out the invitation to the to the to the glitterati of the time and <laughs> the elites. Right. And they don't show up, so then he says go out to the roads. Go out to the mm. to the junkyards, to the highways, to the byways, and all the other. Uh, uh, I'm trying to. I'm thinking of a Glenn Campbell song somewhere, a country music song. Mm. To the to the backyards, the uh, mongrels, to the to the chicken coops, to the <laughs> uh, yeah. Go out to those places and bring those people in, yeah. and they'll be they'll partake of this, you know. And and so here we are. We get to partake of it. And why are you here? What makes you worthy to be here? I was invited. Someone so, said, "Hey, you come on, yeah, come over here." Exactly, and yeah. and so you know, someone might say, "Well, you're not, you know, you're you're not this, you're not that, or you're this or you're that. You're not worthy for whatever reason." And and Joan of Arc gets me out of that. You know, where I'll say, "Well, you know, if you say I'm not in the grace of God, I pray that I that God would put me in the grace of God." And if you, 
And if I am in the grace of God, I pray God would keep me in the grace of God. Right. And so it becomes grace anyway, the end. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, an amazing sacrament to give our lives to so that our lives become the Eucharistic life, which was the writings of Henry Nouwen. Uh, really, uh, you know, when people talk about Henry Nouwen, they usually refer to the wounded healer, which I don't yeah. think they've really read that book because it's not as, it's not one of his better books. It was, I think it was a college level book that he wrote Interesting. for an academic audience. It wasn't even, so I'm not sure why people, I think they just like that title. Well, they've, yeah, I was going to say they probably didn't read any of the Yeah, books. I don't think they read that They just that scanned one. the titles. <laughs> but they have read the, the Return of the Prodigal. That's probably his most popular book, and it is a great book. Uh -huh. But for me, the most impactful are, are his writings on the, the, the road to Emmaus and, and living the Eucharistic life, life of the beloved. Uh, those, those books where he talks about how central, not just to partake of the Eucharist as a sacrament, but to live... Eucharist, and more importantly, for the Eucharist, Thanksgiving to live your life through you, yeah. and and to to live this as a lifestyle, and so those writings were burning on my heart when we came out here, uh, and so I, I wanted us to be a Eucharistic community, uh, right. a community of Thanksgiving, and so it's not just the sacrament; it was the meal that we, the, this Thursday night meal that we we would partake of where there's no agenda other than to enjoy one another uh, and, and feed one another and feed whoever comes yeah. and, and to practice that monastic hospitality, which is the hospitality of the original Abraham to the three visitors that come into his tent, that mysterious story in Genesis. Uh, and so hospitality becomes your lifestyle, because which is the Eucharistic lifestyle. Well, yeah, it's Thanksgiving in action. Yeah. I feel like hospitality is. And and then I could be hospitable to whatever occurs to me as well, my circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Keating and, and uh, the, uh, uh, I forgot the name of his organization, Contemplative... Uh, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll put a correction in at the end. Contemplative Outreach. There we go. Okay. Contemplative Outreach. They... And that's Thomas they, Keating. Yeah, that, Thomas yeah. Keating. Uh, they they uh, teach a a prayer along with centering prayer called the welcoming prayer, mm. and uh, and that's kind of you know I, I release my desire to be in control. Uh, it's it's I welcome whatever is mm. you know kind of thing, and that's that's part of the Eucharistic life. It's it's the uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection in one simultaneous reality lived out in my life, however it's going to come out. Yeah, and it's interesting once we start welcoming our circumstances, and not, not saying that we can't change them, right, if, if they truly are not good, but if, you, if you're a middle-class American, your circumstances are pretty freaking good. Yes. But because we're keeping up with the Joneses and the Kardashianses and all these other, uh, you know, whatever make believe people on social media, uh, we can, we can get out of that idea of, of Thanksgiving and, and gratitude and, and start looking down on it. And, and I just heard a, a comedian rant about how, uh, you know, if you really think your life is so bad, just make it worse. 
Yeah. You know, and he's, he's making a joke about, you know, if you don't like your job, just quit it and be homeless for a few months and see, see yeah. how much better that is. It might be good. <laughs> and so just this idea of, of, of welcoming prayer yeah. where we, where we, we embrace whatever our circumstances look like yeah. and, um, yeah, how do we get into that perspective of Thanksgiving? Yeah, and the as a Eucharist, lifestyle. The Eucharist is a is a reminder. Yeah, so you do that once a week with a group of people. If you're fortunate to have a, a small community around you of that you're able to be vulnerable with, that you're able to live honestly with, uh, but love you, um, accept you, and you accept them. Uh, Around the, the room are those who have physical ailments and they're not going to get healed. They're not going to get better. The people with mental illnesses that are probably not going to get better. Struggling uh, with addiction. Yeah, addiction. They might not Kids ever with let that down. Uh, struggling financially, just every, you know, and here we are together. We just washed up on this shore mm. and we're partaking of this meal together. It's a powerful thing. If you're fortunate to to have a group like that, and and that group includes the able-bodied people, the the people that don't have mental illness, the people yeah, that are yeah. doing well financially, right? Like it's all walks of life. Yeah, wash up together for this meal. On yeah, because your vulnerability is your vulnerability. Honesty and vulnerability yeah. is, is what brings you brings you to that that place of trust and, and yeah um, and community, I guess and. I don't know if we could put it much better than that. Yeah, one of those powerful masses I've been to, and you know, and I didn't even partake in communion there, but the priests, the Bishop of El Paso, uh, uh, Bishop Seitz, and bishops before him would do this, groups of priests, nuns, activists, atheists, believers, uh, other, other uh, faith groups would, would, uh, would join, is a mass across the border through the fence. Yep. And it's a powerful it's a thing. Powerful you know, we all stand there symbol. in the heat and uh and then the mariachis show up and then the and then the greatest Antigua Indians will show up and, oh, and, and do play their, their drum yeah. core and that whole thing. And their dance. Their, yeah, yeah they'll, their, they'll fancy dance and yeah. beautiful, sacred, sacred amazing ceremony. And then the train comes through and blows its horn and uh Interrupts us. Not not because it's scheduled, but just because <laughs> yeah. the train tracks are right next to and the And then wall. the Border Patrol helicopter <laughs> flies over really low. Well, now drones. Blows us away. And then the ICE <laughs> units are out there. But still, it's it's a it's a powerful it's communion. communion. Yeah. It's, yeah. So And a physical wall can't stop it nope. from taking place. So. Nope. Like the Iona Creed says, I believe in the sun that rises over barbed wire. Well, my friend, uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, this, uh, for me, is a powerful, uh, powerful topic and a powerful reminder of, of uh, the Last Supper, the First Supper, and um, uh, just really, uh, really beautiful. Uh, some of the, the the pictures you you painted today with uh, with the um, different references throughout the the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, everything else. So. Uh, thanks everyone for for tuning in for another uh, another episode. Uh, feel free uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, uh, please share it with a friend. A uh, word of mouth is is really important for 
how we get get some of these uh, these things out to to the greater community. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about uh, Desert Rain uh, or, or anything, any any of these uh, sort of different seasons or topics that we've talked uh, touched upon, uh, theruin.com is where you can find that. And uh, once once we're sort of quote unquote back to normal. Uh, maybe, maybe you, we will run into you at one of our Thursday, Thursday night meals, um, uh, uh, a 2021 physical madness manifestation of a, of a love meal, if you will. So, um, thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you, David. Uh, we'll Much appreciation. sign off for today.